today we're reading from John chapter 20, starting at verse 24, going through to verse 31. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's the word of the Lord. Thank you, Marie. Well, the question I, as I said, will to this morning will be, have we got reason to doubt? When we read today's passage, it becomes obviously abundantly clear to all of us that we are dealing uh, with the issue of faith. But if you look at the definition of faith, according to Google, of course, which knows everything, it says complete trust and confidence is someone or something. And then I guess just for fun, someone added this little gem at the end of it. This restores one's faith in politicians. But let us not get distracted. Let us pray for guidance from this text. Our loving Father, we do come to you to thank you for the words that we have here today, that we may understand them, that we may understand, Lord, that we are not that different from Thomas, but that we need to have faith, that we need to understand, that we need to commit, and we need to serve you with all our hearts. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let us never be mistaken or misguided when we as Christians speak of faith. If we understand faith, at least in a biblical sense, it is to have complete trust and confidence. It is then obviously has to be something or someone that can be absolutely trusted and give us absolute and total confidence. To then claim to have faith in politician, I think maybe just go a little bit overstated. Faith in a worldly sense is also very different from the faith we speak of as followers of the Lord. Someone will tell you that the Christian faith is basically a blind trust in something that we can neither see, we can't define it, nor can we touch it or anything else for that matter. But see, for a non-believer, that is the sad reality of their life. 
only for the fact that they simply do not have a full trust in Jesus Christ revealed to them. Therefore, also, they do not know God the Father. They're lost. This should have been different for the 12 disciples, however, should it not? Two out of the 12 seems to have some problems with this. Judas, we know, totally and utterly missed the whole thing. Didn't get it. And, of course, now in time and history, he's no longer with us either and never will be. Next, we hear of Thomas, one of the disciples. In verse 24, we read, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. But we have no real idea what, why Thomas wouldn't have been there with the others when the Jesus first appeared to them, but we are told that he is willing to actually dispute the witness of the resurrection of Jesus by his fellow disciples. They've told him they've seen the Lord, but he'd refuse to believe it. This, of course, is an age-old problem of seeing is believing. That's a quandary we live with. Having said that, of course, we may also conclude that maybe, well, just maybe, the rest of the disciples had a little bit of the same problem as what Thomas did. They had, after all, been told by Mary that she had seen the risen Christ. And yet, they still locked the doors out of fear of the Jews, maybe not totally trusting that the Lord Jesus Christ would protect them no matter what. When we question their faith or maybe their trust and we point our finger at them, don't we also then point some three or four fingers back at ourselves? Are you and I, if we are truly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, in a state of complete trust in him, trust in him with our whole of life? Do we ever do things in our lives to make sure that we are really safe by our own power? I certainly do from time to time, and we could say we only do this because it's a prudent thing to do. We have, after all, been given a brain and we should use it. And I guess we'd be okay with that. Conclusion here is that we just should not question other people's faith or focus maybe should be on our own outliving of the faith that we have been given by God. Jesus, in this case, doesn't belittle Thomas, but helps him. He does even more for Thomas to help and guide him to a true faith and understanding of who he really is. In verse 26, a week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He isn't saying to Thomas, you of little faith, but simply guides, gently guides Thomas to a view of the truth 
and to be able to fully believe on him. And Thomas does just that. Thomas, in fact, declares his undying faith in a clarity that quite possibly surpasses any such declaration made anywhere in any of the Gospels. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Thomas isn't just stating his belief that Jesus is the Son of God. He now worshipped Jesus as God. This is possibly also one of the issues with a lot of us believers we have today. We grasp that Jesus is the Son, all right, we get that, but maybe not linking this strong link that sits there, that Jesus being just as God as what the Father is. And with that, we obviously also have the fact that the Holy Spirit is also just as God as the Father is and Jesus is. They are one God. This passage opened up a key aspect of our faith, that the issue of resurrection and how difficult it would have been for Thomas to come to grips with that miracle as well. Again, none of the other disciples had really believed until Jesus stood before them with a greeting of peace be with you. Today we're in 2021. People don't believe either until Jesus is revealed to them, which is why we can speak of unconditional election and irresistible grace. It is important that we accept and that we know that unconditional election holds the truth that there are no conditions attached to your salvation or mine. There's nothing you and I can do or are required to do to be called by God. But once called by God and once you know the truth and believe on Christ, you will obviously want to come before his throne of grace, repenting of your sins, asking God for forgiveness, followed then by a change in the way you live your life, showing the world that you do understand and you know as a fruit of the Spirit. The way we live and the way we change is the proof of that. So when we then add irresistible grace, we also accept and recognize that when we are called by God by name, it is impossible for us to resist this call. The truth of the redeeming grace of God is simply too overwhelming for any one of us to resist it or indeed reject it. It is just too much. If anyone of us truly come to believe on Christ, it is only for the fact it is God's will for you. For such a person to arrive at this truth and believe the word of God in the Bible and provide it to all believers. The resurrection is the pivoting point in this whole thing. If the Christ had not been resurrected, of course, he would only just be another dead prophet. And we would be unforgiven. That was a key for me some years ago now. On the night God revealed Jesus to me, the truth of the resurrection opened for me the fact that I was or had been in trouble with the Father, but I was now safe in his hands forever, for all eternity. 
That was a big night, I tell you. This is no doubt also what Thomas has just gone through. All of a sudden, everything just comes together for him. He had walked with Jesus. He had heard all the teaching of the three and a bit years. He'd seen all the miracles performed by Jesus. And Thomas, of course, we now have a history of questioning things. In John 14, he is taught, in my father's house, Jesus says, are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. That's a wonderful promise to start with. And he says, you know the way in the place where I'm going. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Just as now, Jesus back then also provides the answer Thomas was seeking for a full understanding of what was happening here. Jesus answered in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Thomas at the time needed to hear. And now, with that, and seeing the wounds in the hands and the sides, everything makes sense to Thomas. To me, the lesson here we got from this text is quite simple. Just as Mary and then the disciples had seen Jesus resurrected and alive, they rushed forth and told others about it. Mary told the disciples. The disciples, in turn, had found Thomas and told him. And yet both the disciples and Thomas had kind of struggled with getting and believing what their ears were telling them. And this is exactly what is happening to me. And to all those, indeed, that have gone before me and all those that are coming after me. When we, with great joy, rush out and tell people about the risen Lord, Jesus Christ. That is, after all, what we do. Until such time as when the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus to them personally, those we tell them about Jesus, they need to have the Holy Spirit open their hearts to the whole truth. Until such time, they simply will not believe what we have told them. Does that mean we shouldn't try? since it is totally in God's hands anyway. It's only through God and the Holy Spirit that they can believe, so why are we wasting our time? We might as well just leave it to God. Well, that's not the case. That is not the case. In much the same way as you urge to repent, then yours, a true belief in Jesus, will reveal to you, you will feel a certain obligation and desire to do what pleases the Lord because of what he has all done for you. In response to the outpouring of his love from his death on the cross. So, what is it that we can do that would please the Lord? Well, sharing the good news of his resurrection, that certainly would be a pleasing thing, would it not? Which is also what Philip did in Acts 8.30. Philip was on the road down south of Israel. Philip ran up to a chariot 
heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, asking him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, said the eunuch, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. See, the point I'm trying to make here is quite simple. Just as we read about Philip explaining chapter 53 of Isaiah to the eunuch, Jesus had also walked with the disciples for over three years, explaining scripture to them through the word and the action so that they, when they arrived at the time in their lives, standing before the risen, resurrected Lord, they had the full story and they believed with a genuine faith that they've been given by God. I'll come back to the proof offered by Jesus to bring Thomas to faith. Of course, that's the holes in his hands and side. Surely to you and I, those are the strongest proof ever offered to the deity and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. The proof of his love for you by his death as we sing the hymn, The Power of the Cross, this is the power of the cross, the Son of God slain for us. What a love, what a cost. We stand forgiven at the cross. You and I may not stand in the same room as Thomas and the disciple did, but we're still able to see him. In the scriptures he left for us to read with a careful guiding of his Holy Spirit, which is what Jesus is referring to next. In verse 29, then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. See, considering what we have been given, the Holy Spirit to indwell us and guide us, the Holy Scriptures, starting with God's declaration of his creation in Genesis. It says, and it was good. And then come to the end of Revelation 22, 21. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. We really have little reason, little reason to doubt the truth that is revealed to us with over 300 prophecies in the scriptures pointing to Jesus as the Son of God, as our Messiah, our Redeemer. So when John Lund writes in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Well, Thomas did not walk around with pangs of guilt, having doubted at this point in time, but with a joyful faith in the Lord and sure knowledge that all of his sin had indeed been forgiven, even his recent doubts. In Isaiah 43, 25, we're also told, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. What a God we have. We want to encourage you to be a Thomas as far as doubting goes. But if you do have some lingering doubts, let them be a catalyst for you seeking the truth that will set you free, just as what Thomas did. 
Don't have doubt and walk away. Have doubt and ask questions. This will also prove and provide you with this wonderful blessing from Jesus. May the peace of God dwell richly in your heart. As we spoke of last week, that peace can only be through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Redeemer. Let us pray. Our loving Father, we do come before you to thank you for the words. We thank you for Thomas even. We thank you for him setting an example that there can be doubt, but not when we stand before Jesus. When he stands there telling us that the blessing of God, the peace with God, the peace of God is with us through the death of his cross, through the resurrection of him, and indeed, Lord, the ascension that he now sits by your right hand and prepares a place for us. It is when we have all these things stored deeply in our hearts and our minds that that will change how we live and change how we do things. May you bless us, Lord, with great understanding of all things that we read. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.